Good morning. That's not bad, I guess, for a, for a snowy spring. Good morning. That's better. Hey, we are continuing in on this series for men called The Art of Manliness. Does anyone have, not have a worship guide? <laughs> Raise your hand. There's a couple down here in the front. We can have a deacon maybe get some of those to them. The art of manliness. Today we're going to be talking about lead and leading. Last week, Tom Eichmann spoke to us about engaging more in our faith. He asked us to chase a relationship with God. To not just sit back and, and just make him another item on the to-do list, but to truly engage. I don't think he's here today, but if I remember right, he, I, I think he challenged every man in this room to an arm wrestling match. I think that's what he did. And if I also remember, he's, I think he said he could do a backflip off the piano. I was listening. I was engaged. As a kid, I didn't want to be an astronaut or a race car driver like my boys. I didn't want to be a fireman or a stuntman. For as far back as I can remember, I wanted to be a doctor. And I was serious about it. So serious, in fact, that for my 12th birthday, my parents bought me a copy of Grey's Anatomy. And not, not the, the show Grey's Anatomy, but the big, thick tome of human anatomy. For high school graduation, I received a, received a stethoscope as a gift. This was my trajectory. Medicine was the path for me. I was pre-med in college studying biology and chemistry and health sciences. I did all the stuff, organic chemistry, biochemistry. I took the MCAT. I knew where I was headed. On my way to being a physician. I graduated from college and by midsummer, the rejection letters started to come in. One after another. With sincere regret, we must report that the Committee on Admissions has completed its selection of the class entering September 1996 and has not been able to offer you a place. Letter after letter came in. You have to apply to lots of schools to try to get in just one. All with the same general response. We regret to inform you after much consideration or you have many fine qualities, however. And so I sat at the family table that summer with the last letter. This one was going to be different. You see, this one was going to be different because the return address said Loma Linda University School of Medicine. This was the ticket. This is where I would be headed. And so with fear and trepidation, I opened the letter. And the first word that I read made my heart leap with joy. Congratulations. And the next five I read broke my heart. Congratulations, you have been waitlisted. Waitlisted. Unfortunately, this only delayed the inevitable, and I did not get into medical school that year. And like the children of Israel, having been denied entrance into the promised land, I too began to wander. For 15 years, my path had been so clear. I knew exactly where I was going. And now all I could do was wander. Knowing that I still had a, re a chance to reapply, 
I went ahead and got a graduate, went to graduate school. And I got a master's degree in, in public health and epidemiology. And I hated it. Mark's not here. That's good. Public health is just not that exciting for me. My careful plans, my preconceived trajectory, my chosen route still wasn't looking too good. After all that work, after two years of graduate school, I still didn't get into medical school. See, I was the one leading. This was my mission. And six months later, I was bussing tables at a local restaurant, hoping to work my way up to being a server. And here's what I learned. You can't lead until you have learned to follow. You cannot lead until you have learned to follow. Have you ever been in a similar place? That place where everything is going along just fine. The plans you have laid out are working exactly as you had hoped. The family trusts you. The team at work values your leadership. You've done well. You've taught the kids the way. The business is successful. Your education is on track. The retirement fund is growing nicely, and it won't be long now. And in the blink of an eye, it all unravels. Ever been there? April 11, 1970, Apollo 13 was launched without any problems. Things went well, and, and NASA isn't superstitious, so they called it Apollo 13. All the plans had been laid out. Everything was on track. The launch was a huge success. They were headed to the moon. To the moon for man to set, step foot on the moon again for a third time. So it wasn't like this was new. They knew they where they were going. They had done this before. They knew exactly what was going to happen. And two days into the mission, everything is still going great. And the crew is just siding off radio thing. Good night, we're going to bed. And suddenly, out of nowhere, an oxygen tank explodes. They are 200,000 miles above the earth, and Commander Lovell radioed this message to command center. Houston, we have a problem. Famous, infamous statement. Houston, we have a problem. The explosion crippled the service module upon which the command module depended. They had to abort the lunar landing. They couldn't do that. They just needed to find a way to get back home. Have you ever felt like that? You were on a mission. You were going someplace. You were going to accomplish something great, and suddenly everything changes. Maybe you get that final rejection letter. Or you get a phone call in the middle of the night. Maybe for you it was the recent layoffs at work or when your wife sat you down and said, Honey, I need to tell you something. Maybe for you it's getting caught cheating on a test, kids, or lying to your parents. Maybe you got that call from the doctor and the cancer is malignant. Maybe, maybe you thought you were safe, but you just found out that she's pregnant. Maybe you did everything you knew to do, taught them everything you knew to teach them, but the choices your kids are making still cut deep. Whatever it is, things were going along nicely, and suddenly, Houston, 
I've got a problem. The crew on Apollo 13 depended on the command center in Houston to get them home. Where once they were the drivers or flyers of what everyone does on a rocket. Where once they were taking the lead, commanding the flight, they now had to rely on the command center to make the calculations and chart the course. Now all the, true, all the crew would do, could do, was follow. If they were going to get back home, they were going to have to follow. Jesus' first words to each of his disciples were what? Follow me. Follow me. The person who says follow me is going someplace. There is a mission involved, a sense of direction. But just because you follow doesn't mean you know where you are going. It doesn't mean you will have a Google map with point-to-point directions. It doesn't mean you're going to have a series of data with charts and graphs and statistical analysis that will allow you to command and control your reality. Leonard Sweet in his book, I'm a Follower, says it like this. To think we can capture and tame the truth is a delusional trap. In fact, the desire for command and control above our desire to please God dams up the waters of living water, or the rivers of living water. Did you catch it? The desire for command and control above our desire to please God dams up the rivers of living water. When Jesus asks us to follow, essentially what we get is an invitation to go where he's going, to daily work for what he wants. You can't lead until you're willing to follow follow. Man, that's a a concept of leadership that's difficult for us. It's hard to hear. It's difficult to let go of what we want, to let go of what we desire. It's difficult to give up control. But here's the problem. If we aren't following, if we are the ones leading, if we aren't leaning our lives against God as our leader, if we aren't clinging to him, when our lives explode, How will we ever find our way back home? We have a similar situation in the story of Joshua. Joshua 1, 1 through 19. It's it's on page 122 if you want to, in your Bibles there in front of you, if you want to follow along. Here God is commissioning Joshua to be the new leader of Israel. Read with me in Joshua 1, 1. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant... The Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land that I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains to the north. From the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous. For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. 
Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instructions continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There's a lot of lessons in there. I'm going to focus on one. But before we go any further, let me just set the scene here a little bit. Give you a reminder of the position that Joshua finds himself in. If you will remember, it's not the first time that Joshua has been here at the promised land. Forty years earlier, Joshua had been one of the 12, 12 disciples, 12 spies sent in to scope out Canaan. These 12 had gone into the promised land, and for 40 days, they spied. They looked around. They saw all that there was to see. And when they came back to report to Moses and the people, you know what they said? Houston, we have a problem. God had been with them, and still they didn't want to follow. They had been freed from slavery, escaped an army, made a journey across the wilderness, given manna to eat every day. They received the Ten Commandments directly from God. They'd been led there by a pillar of fire and cloud. They'd been led there. But when it came time to enter into the land God had promised them, they got bogged down in the details. They got bogged down by their lack of understanding of how they might control the situation. They were just like us. Maybe you found yourself saying, yeah, God, I, I hear what you're saying and it all sounds great. But I just have a couple of questions. See, God, there's this river and it's wide. And then there's these really nasty and mean people over there. And God, what about all the giants I have in my life? I just don't understand how you're going to take care of all of this. Have you ever said that? And so you know the story. God says, fine. You don't believe in me? You aren't ready to follow me? That's fine. I can be patient. But here's what is going to happen. Only two of you now get to go into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb. The other 500,000 of you men who didn't want to follow, you don't get to go in. You don't get to go in. And in fact, now you have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And you know what those people did after hearing God's judgment, after the punishment? Remember, they're just like us. They said, oh, 40, 40 years? That's a long time. We, can't, we don't get to go in now? Okay, God, now we can trust you. Now we are willing to follow you. Now we are ready. And a bunch of them actually tried to go in and carry out the original plan. And they were defeated miserably. So now Joshua becomes the assistant for Moses. He's an intern. And for the next year, for the next 40 years, he interns as an, and is mentored by Moses. But mentored in what? What does the Bible tell us that the Israelites did in the wilderness? Anyone? They wandered. Right? They wandered. So now Joshua gets mentored for the next 40 years in how to wander. 
And I think it probably looked something like this. Moses calls this, the, the Monday morning staff meeting. Hey, guys, thanks for coming in early this morning. Joshua will be here soon with the coffee and donuts. Right? He's the intern. And when the meeting starts, Moses says, okay, here's what we're going to do today. Again, we're going to pack up all our stuff. And when that cloud starts to move out, we're going to go too. That's it. Good meeting. Joshua was trained in wandering for 40 years. That's what he did. Joshua was mentored in wandering, not warring, wandering. But here, is, here he is now at the promised land, and God has asked him to lead them. Only now he's asked them to lead them in warring, not wandering. God is asking Joshua to do something he is totally unprepared to do. But you know what he was prepared to do during the wandering? God was preparing him to follow. But let's get back to this text here. Verse 2, pick it up in verse 2. Therefore the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. And the people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Joshua, you know, there's a river down in that river, right? How are we going to cross it? And Joshua says, I don't know. Verse 3, I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. Wait, 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 wait. Joshua, what's it going to be like? I don't know. Well, how are we going to do it? I don't know. But is God going to keep giving us that, that food from the sky, that manna, or are we going to have to pick up our own stuff? I, I don't know. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Yeah, 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 but Josh, can I call you Josh? I mean, they said giant. You know, are they like giants or are they like giants? What, what are we getting up, in, up? What are we up against? I don't know. And Joshua says, look, let's go over this. I want you to pack your stuff. I want you to line up. And we're going to move towards the river and go over and take the land. How? I don't know. But it's what God has told us to do. Now here's what I do know how to do and what you know how to do. Do you know how to pack your stuff? Yeah, we know how to pack our stuff. Do you know how to form a single file line? Pretty practiced in that. Yeah, we can, we can line up and follow. Do you know where the Jordan River is? Yeah, it's right over there. So we're going to do everything we know to do in accordance with what God has made clear for us to do. And then we're going to trust God to take care of the part we don't know about. Because the only way I know how to lead you is to follow him. And what was it that God had made clear? In the next three verses, be strong and courageous. Simple. For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instructions continually. Meditate on it night and day. 
so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. And now listen, because here's God telling us exactly again. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Why? Why does he say? Why shouldn't we be afraid or discouraged? Because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He's leading. And sometimes that seems really simple, right? You're having your devotionals or maybe you've been praying for weeks about an issue and studying the Bible and what it says. And God's word seems so clear. God has given you clear instructions and then you sit down with your wife or your family or your best friend or, or whoever. And you lay out what God has been teaching you. And it's like, yeah, yeah, but what about? And how? And, and what about the river? And what do you do now? You go back to what God has made clear to you. Be strong, be courageous. Study this book of instructions continually. Meditate on it. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I've been reading this book the last couple of weeks. I am a follower. And this week I read the most powerful statement about God being with us that I've read in a very long time. It says this. We are called not to imitate Christ, but to become a Christian. To so allow Christ's resurrection presence to live in us that we can say in the Apostle Paul's words, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living and you, let that message sink in. Christians, the very spirit that blasted through the lifeless body of the crucified Christ is coursing through your veins this very second. And that's true whether you are a pastor, a church administrator, or someone who sits and listens at the back of the church. So do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Holy Spirit, God's Spirit is with us always. And with our understanding, even though it's a limited understanding of what God has made clear for you right now, and, <coughs> excuse me, wherever you are in that journey of understanding, you can move forward knowing that He is guiding, He is leading, He can be trusted to be followed. Of course, we know the rest of the story for Joshua. We know that jo what Joshua didn't know. When Joshua says, God, I will follow you, he didn't know. He didn't know that God would open up that river wide open. He didn't know that the giants would be defeated. He didn't know that all he would have to do was march and the walls would come down. He didn't know that God would make the sun stand still so he could finish a battle. He didn't know. All he knew was that God was leading and he was going to follow. And even though there were bumps in the road, he didn't follow perfectly. He did follow, and he followed for the next 50 years. And how do we know he followed? Joshua was 110 years old when he makes this famous statement to his people. It's in Joshua 24, page 136 in your Bibles in the pews. Joshua says this, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, the people were struggling again with like who they should worship, stupid humans. And Joshua says, choose this day whom you will serve, 
whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, what? We will serve the Lord. You guys do whatever you want. It's your decision. But us, we're going to follow. Before Charlene and I moved here to Colorado, I used to be a high school teacher at Loma Linda Academy. I taught health and PE and photography. And while I was there, a buddy of mine and I came up with this idea. We said, hey, what if we could take a bunch of 15-year-old kids and we took them all the way around the world as a school and taught them? Now, understand, I didn't have any kids of my own at that time, so I had no idea what I was actually suggesting. So we decided we were going to do a test to test this idea out. So we took 17 15-year-olds to Europe for six weeks. Now, the kids were getting credit for several different classes during the trip. We're going all over Europe teaching Renaissance and Reformation, art history, photography, and PE. PE in Europe, right? We played cricket in, in London. We rode the River Thames. We hiked the Swiss Alps. And for PE, I came up with this clever idea. I'm going to teach urban orienteering, how to get around the city. So in every major city we went to, London, Paris, Rome, Florence, Geneva, Prague, I would create a scavenger hunt for these kids. And they'd have to go all over the city, and they only could walk or use public transportation, and they'd collect all these items. They'd have to pick up a brochure at the Louvre take a picture of themselves at the top of the Eiffel Tower, pick up a matchbox at a such-and-such restaurant. And we'd break these kids into four groups and send one adult with each group. But the adults weren't allowed to lead or contribute in any way. They were only there for safety. And I remember particularly the city of Prague in the Czech Republic. Now, if you've ever been to Prague you know that the language there can be a bit challenging, right? The people don't speak as much English as you might say in London. (laughs) Ah, you are awake. And worse, the written language and street signs can be pretty overwhelming to try to even pronounce, let alone like read and follow a map. Neither was there any kind of English translations in the trains or buses. Now, to my knowledge, nobody ever gets lost on purpose. And these kids were working hard at paying attention and following the directions. But honestly, how many of us do well in unfamiliar territory? And as the adult assigned to keep these particular kids safe, I can tell you that I was paying pretty close attention. But I can't tell you the exact point at which I went from I know exactly where we are to I have no idea where we are. I couldn't pinpoint the precise moment in which we made the wrong turn or got on the wrong train There wasn't a moment where the warning lights went off in my head that you are now lost. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been lost? The realization that you are lost is something that comes on gradually. And slowly it dawns on you, oh no, I think I'm lost. How did I get here? But here's something you can always count on when you are lost. Listen. The road you're on always determines where you end up. The train you get on always goes where it's going to go. 
the one we choose to follow will decide where we end up. And it doesn't really matter where I intended to be. No, the path I follow decides my final destination. My plans, my well-intentioned intentions, parental approval, spousal expectations, none of it counts. I always end up where the road or the one I follow takes me. And really, here's the practical part of this message. The so what, who cares, what do I do now part of the message. So here's the question to ask yourself. Do you want to be a leader or a follower? It's a trick question. Our culture will say anyone can be a follower. They say leaders don't create followers. They create more leaders. The world says it's time to stop being a follower and start being a leader. Or we need more leaders in the world today. Everything rises and falls on leadership, right? How many times have you heard something similar? To desire to lead and to be a leader is part of our modern world. And that's where this gets difficult. It's difficult because the model that Jesus has set up and demonstrated for us over and over and over again is this. The way to lead is to follow. Ladies, and I know this is a series for men, but ladies, the only way to lead your kids is to follow Jesus. Men, the only way to lead your family is to follow. Pastors, I don't think there are any of them here. The only way to lead our church is to follow. Church family, you guys, the only way Christians lead is by following Jesus. But I can hear the conversations on the drive home already. I can hear you say, follow Jesus to lead. Follow Jesus to lead. Follow to lead. I need to follow to lead. Yes, I get it. That makes sense. I just don't understand what it looks like. Leonard Sweet says it looks like this. To follow Jesus does not mean that you have all the answers. To follow Jesus does not mean that you are all together personally. To follow Jesus does not mean that suddenly the shades go up, the light floods in, and the shadows disappear. It just means you keep on moving after the one who has chosen you, the one you've said yes to. And as you travel in his footsteps, things gradually sometimes very gradually, yet brighter. See, like, for, like it was for jo, 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 Joshua, this is a journey for us too. One of my favorite preachers, Andy Stanley, explains it this way. For many of us, our journey when we begin following Jesus starts like this. I have a plan, God, and I'm hanging on to it, but I need you. Will you help me? I want you to help me. I have a will, and I would like to think that your will and my will line up. But if not, my will be done. And along the way, along the way as you follow, along the way your fingers begin to be pried open. As you begin to realize from time to time that there is a conflict between my will and thy will. And it's in that conflict that you learn so much about yourself. It's in that conflict that Joshua's story becomes a little bit of your story because there's competing agendas. And I can't have my way and God's way. And when this happens, when it happens, it will feel to you like it's some kind of moral imperative. Like this is something you have to do or this is something you absolutely shouldn't do. 
You need to stay, not go. You need to go, not stay. You need to let go instead of hang on. You better hang on instead of letting go. This is an opportunity you better say yes to, even though you don't want to. This is an opportunity you better walk away from, even though everything in you wants to take it. And in that moment, you will know. You will know because your conscience will light up, especially if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time. Your conscience will light up. There will be a conflict. And on the outside, your words will say, oh, yeah, this is what I should do. Oh, yeah, I have peace about this. Oh, yeah, it's not a big deal. Oh, yeah, nothing's going to happen. Oh, yeah. But on the inside, there's a war because the will of God and your will will be in conflict. Your agenda and God's agenda won't be synced up. And for some of us, for some of us, it's going to feel a little bit like a death because we have to walk away from the opportunity of a lifetime. We have to walk away from a dream person. You say, God, look, anybody can be a Christian. Not everyone can be that cute. So God, what if, what if I did? What if you have to walk away from the ideal situation? You have to walk away from the dream house, the dream job. You have to stay when you want to move. You have to move when you want to stay. And in those moments, it really will feel like a death. Because the agenda that you are giving up in some cases will be so central to who you think you are, you just think, I can't live with this out without this. I can't live without him. I can't live without her. I can't live without this job. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. Because your agenda and God's will for your life, they'll be in conflict. But you don't have to worry about this. You don't have to fear this because it also what, it's also what makes up a defining moment for you, an identity moment. Because it's in your deciding to follow Jesus in those moments when your will and God's will are like this. And it's in those moments that you discover whose you truly are and whom you are going to serve. It's in those moments that you discover that I truly belong to him. It's in those moments that you discover that I have moved from I want to lead to Jesus follower. It's in those moments that there is a free fall that you have to trust God to catch you. It's in those moments when your little itty-bitty faith intersects with God's faithfulness and God becomes alive to you. The bottom line is this. God, I want what you want more than I want what I want. God, I want, and it's not a bad thing to want. In fact, in fact, everybody wants. And God, you want, and what I want, what you want, that's a little different. And God, what I want is what everybody wants, and what I want is what I've always dreamed of having. It's not like he's a, a bad guy. It's not like she's evil, right? It's not like that's a bad company. It's just, I know it's not what you want. And so I want what you want more than I want what I want. That's what a Jesus follower does. But that's hard sometimes, isn't it? Maybe that's too hard. 
So maybe for you now it looks like this instead. I want to want what you want more than what I want to want. I don't actually want what you want more than what I want, but I will go halfway with you, God. I really want to want what you want more than I want what I want to want. Dr. Seuss. And we've all been there, haven't we? You've seen people, you've heard stories of people who make incredible sacrifices because of their faith. And you think, that's amazing. But I don't think I could do that. You've seen people stay together and fight through a difficult marriage because they were Christians and they said, you know what, we're going to figure this out. And you look at them and, and you thought, I don't know if I have that in me. I don't know if I would do that, but that's amazing. Maybe you're a student and you've seen some of your friends, some of the people you go to school with, make serious sacrifices because of their faith. And you think, wow, I don't know that I would do that. I would like to hope that if I were ever in that situation, I would have the faith and the discipline and the self-control to do what they're doing. In other words, I want to want it. I just don't want it yet. And now here's why this is important. When you find yourself in that situation as a follower of Jesus, and it's like, oh no, here I am, the temptation to say, God, it's just too hard. I don't want what you want. I don't think I'm going to go down your road. I don't think I'm going to follow you this time. So see ya. Gotta go. And so in those moments, if you would just pause In those moments, if you would just pause and simply pray a version of this prayer and say, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, to be honest, I don't want to break up with him. God, to be honest, I don't want to move. God, to be honest, I don't want to leave that job. God, to be honest, I don't want to not do that deal simply because it's so great. And I know it's not, I mean, I know Jesus wouldn't do that deal, but God, I don't want to do your will. I just don't want to. And it's okay to be honest with God. It's what he wants from us. So this is a safe prayer. This is a person who is maturing prayer. This is a prayer that God understands. Heavenly Father, I want to want what you want more than what I want. And in those moments, would you just stay there long enough for your Heavenly Father to begin prying open your fingers so that you can let go. So that you would do the will of your heavenly Father who loves you rather than your own will. And guys, this is so important in how we lead. And this is for everyone here. This is for everyone because it affects us all. When we finally decide to follow God's will, we're going to find reasons not to. But remember Joshua's story. Because it's our story too. And remember God's command. Do not be afraid or discouraged. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And if you truly want to lead, follow. Let's pray. Father God, um, we want to follow you. We're humans and it's not very easy to do. But we know your intentions for us are good. So I pray pray a prayer for myself and for everybody in this room and everybody who is not here, that when we come up against those moments when we have to decide between 
our own will and what we want and what is good for us and what you know is right for us. Please help us to want what you want. Help us to pause and, and say that prayer. Help us to love you always, Jesus. We thank you. Amen.